listeners. I am Antea. And I'm Dasha. And welcome to Shelf Awareness, a podcast that discusses anything and everything about literature, films, music, and art. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Shelf Awareness podcast. Woo! Sorry. We are actually <laughs> back in person. Like, this is a huge deal. We have been reunited, and what have we done? We have created another podcast for you. You're welcome. Another podcast. It's been so long. It's been two months. I apologize. School is very hard right now. And it's been over six months since we've seen each other. So this has just been like the most surreal thing ever. And the audio on this episode better be crisp as hell because we've been doing it over Zoom and we've had lags and it's it's scary. We couldn't even say shelf awareness at the end. Yeah, yeah it was. We time. tried once and it was just shelf awareness. Shelf awareness. <laughs> Like, literally, we can't. This is great. This is amazing. We're having such a great time. And we're here to bring you another episode of the podcast. And today, we will be talking about, uh, actually, changing it up a little bit, a YA novel? A gem of a YA novel. A very good one. None of that crap that we that no, I read when I was none 13. of that no slightly jo- terrifying no, garbage. No John Green, Divergent, Hunger Game, what else is there? There's so many. Rainbow Roll. <laughs> Falling in love with a much, much older man. <laughs> Problematic tropes on Wattpad-esque stupidity. This is, we will have a whole episode one day, I think that's on our list, of some, <laughs> of like stupid YA books from our youth. No, 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 because I'm pretty sure both of us have read all of them combined. And it's very problem, yeah, absolutely. Combined, it's scary. And it's very <laughs> problematic, considering that much of the tropes that are put into YA novels are very patriarchal, and very bad, and very problematic is the right word, for young teenage girls. However, that is not yeah. the point, because this book, the book that we're going to be talking about is Where the Crawdad Sings by, I believe, Delia Owens. Mm -hmm. Wonderful book. I hadn't read it until December of, well, this past December. On my recommendation. On Dasha's recommendation. And Dasha read it like a while back ago. So she's refreshing on it. I devoured it. Yeah, I read it. It was (laughs) gone. Yeah, I read it in a good three days. Dasha read it apparently in one sitting. Yes. So like, we love it. I laughed, I cried, and I took a long time to move on all of the (laughs) all of the above it is wonderful it is definitely it's definitely a modern novel that deserves the recognition that it has gotten and it's uh and yeah we're just gonna go talk there's gonna be a movie in june of 2022 so you better read it by them yeah we will be in the theaters you better be there too we will be in the somehow we will find a way somehow on zoom we're gonna on zoom we're gonna find a way to be in the theaters together but anyways do you want to give like maybe like a disclaimer about the summary that we're gonna give So, a note, as you all generally know, on this podcast, we always try to do a small summary of the novel or short story we're about to analyze, and there generally are spoilers in those summaries that we provide. But, 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 before you leave, (laughs) this novel has a murder mystery element to it that is crucial to the suspense and development of the story, but not so much that us not revealing the the answer would impact your ability to enjoy this podcast exactly so it would almost be disrespectful for us to go into too much detail about the specifics of the plot especially since the the you know the crime and answer is not revealed until the very very end right 
So we will, of course, go over the main plot points. And the themes, as usual. But they will be more general than usual and without that key element. So you can also kind of, like, think about it yourself. Like, that's that adds the fun to it. Yeah. We really, really recommend reading this novel. Like, 1,100 billion percent. It's, like, it's shorter <laughs> than most novels. It's, like, it's the words are not very small, so that's not very annoying. It's very easy to read because it's mm-hmm. modern language. So, you know. Take and, it at your, you know, read it for fun. Read it for pleasure. It's a wonderful novel. And it's just novel. beautifully written. Like, it's the kind of thing that you sit on the beach or, like, in the forest on, like, a nice <laughs> breezy day and you just, like, Look, cry. as someone who... You just cry. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I did cry at the end of the novel. And as someone who hates descriptive novels, like, mm-hmm. a lot, like, this is why I can't read Steinbeck because Steinbeck oh, uses a lot of description. Like, I East, adore Steinbeck. East, East of Eden. Grapes of Wrath. Oh, Grapes of Wrath. All of those books have a lot of uh, setting descriptions. Um, I don't personally like that. I'm very much into character development. This novel is more, as like I'm saying, is more about setting and environment and using the environment to explain conflicts of personal nature. And I used to hate descriptions, but this novel completely revolutionized that because I read those things and I like gasp at how beautifully <laughs> at how beautiful they are it is wonderful so like we said take this take this summary that we're going to say it's going to be it's going to be very general and we want you to read this book because it doesn't deserve to be spoiled so exactly there you go so with that being said uh, i'll begin the summary so this novel is actually divided into two parts two intertwined main stories it's a contemporary coming of age story mixed with a murder, like we said, a murder mystery element. <laughs> the story is set and jumps between the 1950s and the 1970s. Um, the story is not told in a linear way. Um, like, it's it's very jumpy. And the events that occur in the earlier years are representative more of the coming-of-age story, while the events that occur, like, in the later years are more representative, like, the murder mystery element of the story. Or, like, follow the murder mystery plotline. The novel it actually follows the life of a girl named Kaya Clark from the age when she's six years old to the age of like to when she's an adult. And she lives with her family in the marshes of North Carolina. And basically, life has never really been easy for her. At a very young age, she has to deal with abandonment, a- abandonment as like her entire family sort of like walks out on her gradually over time. And so by the age of 10, she has to learn to survive on her own in the marshes. And in doing so, she becomes familiar with her surroundings and understands and she begins to understand that since everyone has abandoned her the only thing that is consistent within her life is nature and she knows that nature would never like abandon her so that becomes like a main like a a sort of a main anchor for her um the townsfolk know her of her existence and they call her the marsh girl and they keep like telling stories and rumors of basically her quote-unquote savagery and her wild lifestyle and so forth yeah she becomes sort of like this town legend and people are sort of at the same time, there's this feeling of like disgust, awe, fascination, mockery. It's all kind of together in this jumble. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one knows that Kaya didn't actually choose this lonely path and that mm-hmm. she craves love and affection and familiarity and just like a human touch because she just doesn't get that. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a consi- like a mother figure. Her father does come back at some problematic. point but extremely problematic there is some abusiveness and just neglect and very all difficult. those lines yeah. yeah so however she gets scared that if she lets people in they will abandon her because that has been her experience with other human beings 
However, this all changes when she meets Tate, a boy who becomes interested in her and a romantic relationship connects the two. She knew him when she was actually younger with her siblings, so she does have a connection with him to begin with that leads her to trust her a little bit more than she would trust others. On the other hand, we also learn that in the year 1969, the town's golden boy, Chase Andrews, is found dead. And everyone in the town suspects that Kaya is involved due to her wild nature and the fact that she was known to have some connections to him, which were romantic, and there was kind of rumors about that. As the story jumps between the two timelines, we learn how Kaya is involved in Chase's life and the aftermath of it all. Just to clarify, there are two romantic interests in this, Tate and Chase, I feel like. Yeah, Yeah, that could have gotten a bit jumbled. That could have gotten jumbled. But basically, there's an earlier, the first relationship is Tate, and then the second one is Chase. Mm -hmm. There you go, just to clarify. So yeah, that's the summary, like we said, very general, and yeah, that's, let's go. (laughs) Woo! So the reviews of this book's book are actually quite mixed. It's quite funny, actually. You either see it on Goodreads, which is an app that I use very often, guilty as charged, but you either see it being rated five stars or on the other spectrum being rated one star. Like, there's no in between. Um, In other words, what the consensus seems to be is that you either love this book or you hate it. It's a very Catcher in the Rye-esque situation. I was about Um, to make that (laughs) reference because that's totally what we were talking about during Catcher in the Rye. (laughs) And many people love, I think, I think many people, if you like this novel, you like it for two reasons. You either like it because of the unique nature aspect of the novel, which is actually why I very much like this novel. And then there's also like... And then some people like me are drawn to the murder mystery element of it. And as well as the legality sort of, there's a lot of the usual sort of court drama aspect, but mm-hmm. in book form with a little bit more of the, the you know, they, the add, they add a good amount of drama and backstory and mystery and all of that and just just that aspect does kind of remind me of a more modern Agatha Christie with a little bit, with just Mm -hmm. so much in there that makes it even more interesting and valuable. So those that did not enjoy the novel actually said that they did not like the nonlinear plot and the sort of consistent jumping back and forth, which bothered me at first as someone who does really like to be clear on what's going on. And like, I have a very sort of logical mind and it wasn't at first, Mm -hmm. but I felt that it really added a lot because it grouped things more by concept and what kind of like flowed to create this sense of like, really just like Mm -hmm. it enhanced the mystery. I feel like because you, you had to keep reading to find out more information and it wasn't necessarily chronological, but it was all like really valuable to helping you understand very well. I think I, yeah, I love a good. I'm very much different. I love a good nonlinear story, <laughs> and I enjoyed this. I did think a cr- good critique, and I'm and actually saying that this critique is valid, is that like you can very distinctly tell that in between the jumping of the two timelines, we're talking about two different stories. Like we said, a coming of age story and then a murder mystery, mm-hmm. and it's clearly defined. And maybe maybe people would have liked to see it have seen it more better integrated. And I can see the value the, the like validness of that critique but at the same time I really enjoy nonlinear stories mm. for, so for me that wasn't a problem at all so if you're a person who like doesn't mind the nonlinearity of the story then you probably are going to enjoy the like one of the two aspects the nature aspect of it or the murder mystery aspect of it so we're going to talk about both of these aspects and I so the first aspect and what I mean by the nature aspect of it I mean specifically when I talk about how the story connects nature to the very complicated relationship, particularly relationships like romantic relationships, how they occur between men and women. And being, so with Kaya, 
being that nature is the only consistent part of her life and considering that she's dealt with a lot of abandonment issues in her life she often turns having and also the fact that she lacks like a parental figure or any sort of figure in her life she very much turns to nature for advice um and or rather not even advice but just for like it's nature guides her basically her whole like beginning the whole like budding romance that occurs with tate starts with actually exchanges of like bird feathers and their conversations begin to like grow as he gives her shells and other like natural things to collect but he like leaves them for her on like a tree stump and she would go and she would collect them put them on her shelf and then she would bring something from her own collection so that he could have and it's just this very innocent and naive exchange that's so beautiful and very and they're both very young so that's like that's the beauty of it um there's actually a quote that perfectly like represents this like I think perfectly encapsulates how naive and like innocent the romantic as this romantic aspect of Kaya's life is. Um, she so the quote is: "Her pocket brought a tail feather from an immature bald eagle she'd found that morning. Only someone who knew birds well would know this splotchy, tatty feather was eagle, a three-year-old, not yet crowned, not as precious as the tail feather of the tropic bird, but still a dear thing." uncertainty lingered but the more she thought about it the less likely it seemed that the boy meant her harm it didn't fit that anyone who liked birds could be mean and this is so cute because i know a lot of birders <laughs> from my yeah. university, and they're all like the sweetest people ever and I, they would not hurt a single fly so like this is very much true so yeah that's that's what yeah. i'm yeah so she begins to learn how to classify the different species and she even receives a quote unquote education through her fascination with nature so she slowly grows closer to tate as she begins to trust him more with this like he shares the love for what is essentially her parental figure and the only constant thing in her life so he is able to get to her in a way that no one else was able to because she just mistrusted everyone mm -hmm. almost. So Tate actually teaches her how to read and write and their friendship blooms into something so endearing and important in Kaya's life that she can't seem to live without it. A quote that reflects this is, for days, Tate didn't return for the reading lessons. Before the father game, feather game, sorry. <laughs> Before the feather game, loneliness had become a natural appendage to Kaya, like an arm. Now it grew roots inside her and pressed against her chest. And again, like roots, like the lungs. Like the constant connection to nature, nature is so... Like the prose, it sometimes it feels like you're reading poetry, and it does. I hate poetry. So the fact that it was in the format of prose made it palatable for me. Oh, geez, I think that was really people. helpful to me. We're very different people. I love poetry, but and I get and I, get, <laughs> but like yeah, like it's actually a lot of the novel is communicated through poem and poetry. She writes Kaya writes poems. Yeah, it's. I won't yeah. lie. I struggled to read them. Like mm. when I see something in poetry formatting, I'm like skip. But then Never. I resisted and I did not skip it. It's it's actually quite beautiful. And it's like, there was actually a quote from it. And I know that we're going off topic and on a tangent, but I'm going to come back to the main point, which is there was actually a quote that was so beautiful where like Tate's father was like talking about how like men who consider poetry to be useless are not really men. Because oh, only, yeah. only real men could be like so like secure in their masculinity that they could emotionally tie their words into feelings like that and I was wow. like god damn this is so beautiful but only a woman would say this <laughs> <laughs> you're not no. wrong I'm like no. and I remember thinking good thing I'm not a man I'm like 
only a woman could say this. I would know man in North Carolina. Yes. From Can the you just marshes. imagine with the, with the accent, the marshes and everything saying something like no. A fisherman. No. Like that was like, I was like, as beautiful as that is. Yeah. I know the author is a woman. And I know she's very poetic. So yeah. that was crazy. Yeah. No, but it is. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Going back backtracking to the cycling back (laughs) okay cycling back to the nature aspect of the novel right so when initially her and tate's relationship is going through that very tension filled beginning stages of romance that we all like that like you know are so confusing but so like and they're filled it's filled with anticipation and such like there's a quote it's so beautifully said Part of her longed to touch his hand, a strange wanting, but her fingers wouldn't do it. Instead, she memorized the bluish vein on the inside of his wrist as intricate, goodness, as those sketched on the wings of a wasp. Like, ah! This is how to tell that a book was written by a woman. Like, fully. (laughs) When you describe hands with that much Much detail. detail. Specifically, when you describe a man's hands using like oh my god like she's like this girl and somehow get away with comparing it to a wasp like i don't know how she did that but it totally works it's so beautiful i like fully gasped when i read that i was like oh my god that is i like she's like kaya's like very nature as we can tell very nature oriented so the fact that she even managed to like notice the hand and then compare it to something like to compare it to like the wasp the veins on the wasp wing beautiful it's oh, actually, that's what I'm saying. When I tell you this novel is filled with some gorgeous descriptions of nature, mm-hmm. it truly is. And they're mind-blowing, honestly. And there's, like, one, so one final part. So, so yeah, that was the blooming part of their relationship. But there's also, like, the breakup and the devastation. Betrayal. Oh, young adult love. Not even teenage love, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, for reasons that we will not disclose, Tate kind of betrays Kaya and she is devastated and heartbroken by the experience but like nonetheless she also uses nature to reconcile and sort of come to terms with her feelings and learn some lessons so like one of the most like pre I guess the most prominent examples of this is when she's observing like fireflies during mating season so like this is the quote listen close this is this is beautiful how how do you come up with how do you come up with this (laughs) I learned this I took one ecology course last uh-huh. intro to ecology course we actually talked about this which is why when i read this novel i was like getting these like flashbacks of like the lecture slides in ecology this is really it's, it's true so they call this false signaling you'll see what i mean um <laughs> so the quote is suddenly kaya sat up and paid attention one of the females had changed her code first she flashed the proper sequence of dashes and dots attracting a male of her species and they made it then she flickered a different signal and a male of a different species flew to her reading the message the second male was convinced he'd found a willing female of his own kind and hovered above her to mate but suddenly the female firefly reached up grabbed him with her mouth and ate him chewing all the six legs and both wings kaya watched others the females got what they wanted first a mate then a meal just by changing their wings. And I don't know what about that specific example is incredible because it's like, (laughs) because you use such a very, a very ecological phenomenon called false signaling that happens between insects where females like to survive, to like, you know, both mate and have a meal, give false signals to other fire, to other like male insects. And it's so smart because, yeah. like, 
how do you survive in a world, right? How does and it really like so often the there are so many metaphors and things that aren't really explained. You have to really think about them. And I think the value is that it really brings us as people, makes us think about how we are animals, not yeah. like in a ne- like not in necessarily yeah, in a no. negative sense, but like we survival have those biological instincts is essential still. and we just go about it in a different way. But all of this is it's all really interesting to think about. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to tell you a certain interpretation in a way that you need to see everything. Like, you need to read this for yourself. And no, but like, like it is quite beautiful. It, like, the whole concept that she proposes is the moment when she like begins to see love as not being like this naive exchange of gifts or like loving exchanges, but rather the fact that sometimes with love comes betrayal, and sometimes with love also comes survival, mm-hmm. and like. You need to learn how to survive, and nature is a beautiful like teacher for that. And it's quite, it's quite lovely. And I feel like I don't know. That's why this novel, in so many ways, is gorgeous. And we're only providing you very like. I wish I could provide you with more examples. Just of read this. the whole book. Read the whole book. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Next on our podcast, we will begin our forty series <laughs> <laughs> reading of Where the Crawdads Sing. Uh, Audio book for free. Yes. By me and Dasha. Probably not very well because I tend to stutter when I read out loud. So like, not great. I would just probably get too into it, and I do voices, and that would probably ruin it. Start doing British accents. Yeah, I when love they're, doing when they're like, in North Carolina. <laughs> I do ridiculously deep voices for. <laughs> I have a little brother, so I I love reading to him, Aww. but he's like these voices are too deep <laughs> like this is ridiculous or like yeah no like start doing random british accents when you know they come from north carolina hey british accents make everything better everything better absolutely true <laughs> okay so back to so that um it's also kind of interesting this is separate from the fireflies thing but the use of words and language and literature and sort of the significance of that because kaya previously she was never she I think she went to school briefly, but then... One day. One day. Briefly means one day. Briefly means an hour. She yeah. was like, I... She goes in, she's like, never again. Yeah. And... Same, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but... She, <laughs> uh, but... Yes. Um, so she never learned to read and write, and she didn't really realize what was missing from her life. Um, but then when Tate begins to teach her to read and write... It's so the quote that she says is that I wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full because she was really able to express what she was seeing in nature and like put it down and really record it. So she starts doing writings and drawings and that actually ends up leading to her professional success and a way for her to continue leaving her leading her life as sort of being in between the sort of like non-nature not non-natural world like the man the world of humankind yeah. and nature the, the nature so it's like she gets to embrace the both of best of both both worlds yeah and it's also another thing that i really like these are kind of like my favorite sort of quotations and thoughts is that kaya this is a quote now had been of this land and of this water now they would take her back keep her secrets deep so this is very towards the end of the book and Tate realizes that she never really belonged to him, but she was actually free and wild, a spirit that would always return to the marshland, which only she really truly understood. And she even called the marsh her mother because it would always be there for her when her family abandoned her. Mm-hmm. And much like the natural environment, Kaya was remembered as ruthless and bold and mysterious and wild, but also really beautiful mm-hmm. in just the way that she coexisted with nature. Yeah. So that's pretty much, okay, so that's, so basically with that, we kind of summarize and we end 
the first part, the like nature aspect of the novel, the coming of age aspect of the novel, the romance and everything. There's also, like we said, this isn't just a coming of age story. There's also there's also a murder mystery element to it. So I feel like Dasha can talk more about this because she this is what she liked most. <laughs> I found it to be not derivative, but I felt it like I was like, I don't want to read this. Every time the murder mystery comes up, Come I was on. like, I was waiting for the next chapter, which was going to flip back to the earlier years to read the coming of age aspects of it. I can see how that would be frustrating because for me, it was the opposite. <laughs> I was like, see, I love fluff, but I was like, you know, once I have both, I'm like, I clearly prefer the murder aspect. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I enjoy the fluff, but if you're going to compare uh, it to yes. this. Murder. Then... <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. I was like, I like, okay. The murder aspect, of course, is very interesting. And I'm, I definitely can say I was intrigued and quite surprised by some of the, like, conclusions that they came to it. So it was definitely not, like, not bad. However, I it wasn't my favorite part of the book. But yeah. Understandable, understandable. So... Again, we can't go into this too much, but we do want to definitely pique your interest so that you feel like you have no choice but right now to go get this book and read it right now in one sitting. Don't move. Just like read it. (laughs) And yeah, digest it. And then process it for the next like four days. Exactly. So we're just going to say a couple key points to kind of pique that interest. So as we Mm -hmm. said, Kaya is sort of simultaneously mocked, feared, and admired by most of the people in as being like the famous, infamous, not famous famous and infamous, Marsh Marsh girl. But Mm -hmm. when Chase Andrews takes notice of her, things sort of begin to change. So there are a lot of different things that kind of happen, and we won't go into everything, but there are just a lot. Mm -hmm. He's sort of like the golden boy of the town, popular, does sports, everyone loves him. And Mm -hmm. they get kind of in a romantic relationship. After Tate betrays her. After Tate betrays her, which you have to find out why. Like, you you have to do it. And... (laughs) And you in suspense. There's just, and then she finds out by reading a newspaper that he's going to be engaged to be married. And at some point he tries to sexually assault her. So she harbors many mixed feelings about him. Mm-hmm. And some aspects of the novel, this is kind of a, you know, sidetrack, but also very relevant. So some aspects of the novel are actually nods to Delia Owens, the author's own life. Mm-hmm. Since she and her husband were actually connected to a real life murder in 1995, they were the primary suspects in the shooting of a Zambian poacher in Africa when they were living there mm-hmm. because they were filming a documentary. This was really interesting for me because much like the situation with um, Kaya, she is sort of implicated, but there's never enough evidence against her to move anything forward. And actually, I don't know when the case against them was dismissed, but when Delia was writing this book and it got published, I believe in 2010 or something like that, or like something 2011. Very, actually, maybe even more recent than that. But um, sure I, I read somewhere, out. yeah. But there, like the the evidence, like there was still no conclusion, so it was ongoing with that. Mm-hmm. So that's actually very interesting. But um, you know, their involvement is kind of questionable. There are a lot of articles out there. If you're curious, like go for it, take a look. Mm-hmm. Um, but just overall, this legal aspect, and there, it goes into a lot of detail. Like there's the different evidence that's given by mm-hmm. different people who witnessed somebody going somewhere like what's whose alibi what could have been someone's intentions and then this backstory kind of fleshes out what we're reading to be like hmm like you know what what are the motives here Mm -hmm. so from the aspect of someone who just really likes to be very analytical of these types of mysteries and actually have a chance to come up with a solution yourself before it's like fed to you which 
at some, you know, towards the end, we were so close to the end. And I was like, what if I never know? Don't worry. They tell you. They tell you in a very Christina Aguilera-esque. Oh, it's beautiful. The way they tell you. No, that's wrong. Agatha Christie. Christina Aguilera. I totally knew what you meant, and I didn't even question it. Yeah, I said I said the singer Agatha Christie. Excuse me, I'm an idiot. Uh, But that's as a very strong fan of Agatha Christie. That is offensive. In a very Agatha Christie-esque way. So we need to remove that. No, I'm just we, kidding. We can't. It's 19 minutes into the no, podcast. No. I am not recording. Just that. unhear it. If you are a fan of Agatha Christie, please do not cancel Antea. She knows not what she says. And I have also not read Agatha Christie before. I'm so sorry. Sorry, I just choked. It's fine. It's. <laughs> I have not read Agatha Christie, but I've heard that she's incredible. And yeah, in a very Agatha Christie way, um, this novel, you don't. It's very, left very ambiguous as to who killed her, who killed who, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, you're like, oh. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, for, for our fans of Agatha Christie, I will say <laughs> that I actually prefer... <laughs> yeah, this isn't talking to you. <laughs> for our fans of Agatha Christie, it's important, I think, to note that like I really enjoyed how the, the true killer is revealed because... It's not in this like straightforward fashion. Mm. It's in a very indirect and poetic way that is really in line with how the story is told mm-hmm. and how it unfolds. And honestly, like the when I finished this book, the main thing that I thought was just beautiful. Like I wanted to reread it right afterwards, but I knew that I would just get like way too emotionally invested in the characters because mm-hmm. at that point I was already like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just getting no, a little I, bit. Yeah. I completely understand. But yeah, so that's basically what we wanted to say about the novel. So we talked about both aspects that we liked about it, whether that be the natural, like the more nature aspect, the descriptions, the coming of age story, the romance, and then the murder mystery aspect, yes. which I feel like we didn't go into that much detail, but that's only because we really don't want to spoil it because yeah. I think it's it's beautifully done. And, and what do we, like, we won't tell you all of the, you know, everybody's testimony and all this I stuff. Feel like, like that's something you need to enjoy for yourself if that's the kind of thing you like. And I feel like we have spoiled things with other novels but only because like sometimes we like we tend to like analyze older works Mm -hmm. like you know Shakespeare or like 20th century novels that have been spoiled across the internet or have been used as references for so long so like we feel that but this is like a very relatively new novel so like there hasn't much been much spoilers and you can I still want people to be able to like get something of their own analyze it for their themselves and this is also such a fun book like i really doubt that you will be assigned this book but if it's just something for, for yourself pleasure. really and that's we don't want to take that away from you we want to just introduce you to something that we really appreciate it and think you would too Thank you for listening to this episode of Shelf Awareness! We can finally say that in sync. Oh my god. That was beautiful. That was a work of art. (laughs) Yeah. So, since we did reference it before, Ante and I have deliberated and we've decided to give you all what you want and kind of what we want. Like, let's be honest, (laughs) we are going to be talking about the problematic young adult novels that shaped our childhood in probably not the best ways, (laughs) but also in the best of ways, too. So, like, like, they have made us who we are today. And in not, and again, not in good ways. Not in the best way. So that's what we'll be talking about and see you next time.